Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Powerful uh, thing that has ever happened in human history has been the burial or the crucifixion burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ is probably one of the most epic things that have ever happened in history, and yet <clears throat> it is the most life-changing. So I'm going to talk about this subject here, about Jesus being on the cross. Jesus said several things on the cross that were very significant, but probably the most significant thing that he said that most, most of us probably don't understand, and I'm going to give you some clarity on that today, is one of the last words that he said is, he said, it is finished. It is finished. So let me ask you a question today. Have you ever said to yourself, man, I don't have enough time to finish everything? How many have ever asked yourself that? Man, I, I need some more time. I just can't seem to get it all done. How many of you have some unfinished projects at your house? Half your kitchen is painted or, you know, uh, this guy, you started remodeling and it's only halfway done. You know, I've been to places where you could tell they started something and then they didn't finish it off. And that's probably a lot of us. And we just can't seem to get the time. And let me just tell you this, because we're in a broken planet, and fortunately we're not going to live here forever, I know we're looking forward to eternity. In fact, uh, we think about this world, the Bible says there's pain, there's sorrow, there's suffering, but I'm looking forward to a better place in eternity in heaven. But because we have a limited amount of time, and because we don't know when we're going to die, I'm just going to tell you, I hate to tell you the truth, but you're going to die with um, some unfinished business in your life. It's just the reality. I don't know. I, I think a lot of us don't want to hear that. But because we don't know when we're going to pass away, you just don't realize there's a lot of things you want to get done and you're probably not going to get it done. Have you ever heard this? I could have, would have, should have. Right, man, if I could have just did this, if I could have, well, I would have done that. If I should have, you know, whatever it might be. There's only one person in all of history that died and finished business. He finished everything. In fact, we can say he died with unfinished business, and that was Jesus. He died with unfinished business. He completed everything that he was supposed to do. And then I'm going to read you a scripture, and we're going to pray. In John chapter 4, verse 34, I must finish the work, this is Jesus speaking, that God gave me to do. This was Jesus' mission, that he had to finish the work that God gave him to do. And can I tell you? He finished it. And so we're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us as we dive into this message today. So, Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the Word of God, that your Word is true, that your Word is powerful, that your Word is relevant in 2023, that it applies to our lives right now. So I pray that you'd open our hearts, our minds, remove every distraction. And God, help us to give you our 100% undivided attention. I pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit as I declare your word. And let the people hear the voice behind the voice. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. So let me just make this statement. This world 
is filled with unfinished dreams, unfinished projects, unfinished buildings uh, of all kinds of sort. Now, I want to show you a picture. Most of you are familiar with this monument. Why don't you put it up there real quick? This is called Mount Rushmore. How many are familiar with Mount Rushmore? And uh, it's kind of my dream. Maybe it's an unfinished business, but to see Mount Rushmore, it's in South Dakota, and uh, it's the head of uh, George Washington, uh, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. And I mean, this is the national monument. There are people from all over the world, all over our nation, that travel there to see this spectacular monument. Uh, there was a sculpture uh, made out of, from this mountain, and uh, they did some work there. This one guy that had the vision, and uh, the government gave him money to be able to make this monument, and it's really awesome. Everybody from everywhere comes to see it, but do you know that this is an unfinished monument that is not completed? Uh, they ran out of money because we went into World War One and World War, or actually World War Two, and we ran out of money. And so let me show you the original dream model, the way it was supposed to be. That's the way it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be from the head to the waist. That is the original model of Mount Rushmore. But because they ran out of money, they stopped about right here. Amen. <laughs> That's where they stopped. They didn't finish the project, and they wish they would have, but it's really unfinished. It's an unfinished project. You can take it down. Uh, how many have ever heard of Bruce Lee? Yeah, I, I know a little bit. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. But <laughs> Bruce Lee is a famous martial artist. Uh, there's a movie he didn't finish called The Game of Death. You ever heard of that? The reason why he didn't finish that movie is because in the middle of filming the movie Game of Death, uh, they, he got an uh, invitation to do uh, Return of the Dragon, which I'm glad that he did. It's one of my favorite movies. Voila! You know, and so anyway. Oh, you, know, you know, why don't you get a 45? You know, and the way he talks. Anyway, um, anyway, I just love that movie. And I don't know why. I didn't do that the first service. We're not recording it good. So anyway... <laughs> Wow, was that good? You like that one? That was good. Thank you, Dennis. Uh, you know, they encouraged me, even if it's not good. Thank you, Dennis. I appreciate it. But anyway, uh, because he was in the middle of doing this, he did enter the dragon, and he died before completing the game of death, because none of us know when we're going to die. And like I said, uh, all of us are going to die with some type of unfinished business, but Jesus did not. Jesus fulfilled it all, and that's why we just read the scripture, I must finish the work that God gave me. And fortunately for me, and fortunately for you, Jesus said those words on the cross, it is finished. In fact, let me read it here out of John chapter 19. These are the last moments of Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, and we get to read these verses of scripture, and it says, knowing that all was now completed, Jesus knew everything was completed, he said, knowing that all was completed, and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, he knew this was prophecy that was going to be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty, okay, and then after Jesus had drank, he said these words, it is finished. And with that, bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Now, here's some interesting things. When we hear this word, 
it is finished, we often misinterpret what Jesus is saying. Why did Jesus say this? When Jesus said this, it is finished, it was actually not a statement of defeat. It was a statement of victory. Actually, the word it is finished is a word of victory. Jesus did not, uh, uh, they didn't take Jesus' life. He voluntarily gave it up. And so when he made this statement, it is finished, and I'm going to explain it to you in just a moment, that it was actually a word or a statement of victory. I don't know if any of you are old enough here to remember the first uh, landing on the moon by Neil Armstrong. He made this statement as they landed on the moon. The, the, the lunar lander landing came on the moon, and the name of that lunar lander was called the Eagle. And he made this statement, the Eagle has landed. The Eagle has landed. This was a, a statement of victory. Uh, this was 1969. How many, how many were watching that? And, and, and remember, yeah, there's a few of us. Some of us don't want to admit it, but I, I have my hand up. I was five years old. I know I look really young, but I was five years old at the time when I watched it. And some of you might have been in your mother's womb, or some of you might have been a twinkle in your daddy's eye at the time. But here we are. You know, the eagle has landed. And so every battle, every game, every sports event is always concluded with some kind of victory statement. I remember years ago when the Lakers uh, had the dream team with Kobe Bryant and the Shaq and all of these, and the statement was, we're going to have a 3P, 3P. I remember that, 3P. I said, yes, 3P. I can't wait. We're waiting for that day for uh, the 3P. And I, I remember even uh, with, with Magic and everybody else, the 3P. And it was the word of victory. And I want to tell you today, this statement, it is finished, is actually a statement that determines our future. It is actually a statement here talking about all of us here have some future hope. Think about this. The irony of this statement is when Jesus made this statement, most of the people there did not understand what he was saying. The Roman soldiers and the people in the crowd were probably thinking, yeah, you're finished. It's over for you. You've been a revolutionary. You've been a rebel in our uh, thorn in our side. And so when Jesus made the statement, it is finished, they probably thought good riddance or even Pilate who had to deal with this whole thing was saying, you've been a political headache. I'm glad you're finished. Some of the religious people that felt that Jesus was more of a competition, they were envious of Jesus. They were probably saying, yeah, you're finished. And probably even the disciples who heard him make this statement, they were thinking, man, the dream of this kingdom, the dream of the Messiah, the dream of having the master with us, and now he's dead, we're doomed, it is finished. And probably the devil thought, I got him. He's dead. He's finished. I've killed God in the flesh. I've won the Son of God. It's over. But how many know it's not over? 
Jesus was not saying, it, I'm finished. He said, the salvation, the plan of God is finished. He rose again the third day. I said, he rose again from the dead. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.8 says, none of the rulers of the world understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, the devil would not have really contended to have him crucified and have people turn on him had he known the power of what that was going to be. So when Jesus made this statement, there are five benefits. Listen to me. There are five benefits that come from this statement. It is finished. And I want you to write them down because it benefits you more than you understand. I'm saying something today that most of us don't even realize uh, that when Jesus said it is finished, it wasn't just I, uh, it wasn't a statement that I am finished. It was one of victory. And there's a lot of meaning to this. In other words, when the New Testament was written, it was written in Greek. And so when you read the Greek word, it is finished, it's actually not three words, it's one word. And it's pronounced uh, tetelestai. So basically, if you read it in Greek, Jesus says, one word that is finished, he says, tetelestai. And actually, in Greek, it's a beautiful word. It's a common word. And it's implying several different things. The word tetelestai was often used when you were a servant or you were working on a job and you completed a task and you did the job and it was well done, you would tell your boss to tell us I've completed the job. I got the work done. The task that you gave me is now finished. The assignment that you gave me to tell us it is done. It also was part of the judiciary system. So if you were a judge and you, if there's someone that had finished their sentence, had served their time, you would get the, the gavel there and you would bang it down and you would say, Tetelestai, I released the prisoner. The price had been paid and he would basically stamp the document, Tetelestai, this person has served their time. If you were an accountant, it was used at the business term. And if you paid your bill, if you paid the debt off, if you paid off the house or you paid off the debt, they would write it on a piece of paper, which was kind of made out of plants back then, and they would stamp it and they would put no more debt. The debt has been canceled to Telestai. If you were an artist and you uh, uh, did a finished painting uh, and after you put all the watercolors on or, or the charcoal or whatever you did, uh, you would finish that picture and you would say, to Telestai, it is finished. It was also used by the priest. The priest in those days would have to make a sacrifice and they would bring an animal without blemish and they would sacrifice the animal and when the sacrifice was done, they would say, Tetelestai. So when Jesus died and he was on the cross, Jesus said, Tetelestai. In other words, it is completed. Somebody say amen. Had Jesus not said that, we wouldn't have no hope today. 
Had Jesus not made that statement, we wouldn't have the promises of God today. He finished everything. He completed the work of God. He completed his mission. The only man that's ever done that was Jesus. And he could say to Talestai, but because of that, there are five benefits to you. Number one, write this down. I think this is going to help you later on in your life. He fulfilled what God had promised us. When he said to Telestai, or it is finished, he fulfilled all that God had promised us. Now, I want you to understand something. Before Jesus came to the earth, or before he was born of the Virgin Mary, it was predicted thousands of years before that there was going to be a Messiah, in fact, there are 380 predictions, or what we call prophetic or prophecies, of the coming of the Messiah or the birth of Jesus Christ. There are many promises in the Old Testament that Jesus was going to come, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that there was going to be a star. All of these things were predicted thousands of years before it ever happened. And so Jesus fulfilled it. In fact, in Luke chapter 24, excuse me, he makes this statement. Let me drink some, let me drink some tea here. I'm sorry, guys. Jesus said this, after he had resurrected from the dead, he gathered the disciples and they were there in the room and Jesus said this to them in Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Jesus said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. In other words, before they crucified me, I told you all of this. He said, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses. So Jesus is telling them in the Old Testament, the first five books in the Bible that was written by Moses, it's telling you about me. He said, the prophets and the Psalms. In other words, the prophets had written about him. The book of Psalms talks about, the, uh, about him. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them this is what is written. The Christ would suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all the nations. So Jesus is saying, this was predicted, this was said about me, and today these promises have been fulfilled. All of these prophecies, all of these predictions that Jesus would be born, that the Messiah would be crucified, all of those promises were fulfilled when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. So the Old Testament, listen to me, the Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. So in the Old Testament, you could read about all the different prophetic prophecies about Jesus. Although it doesn't say his name, everything references the prophecies or the things that Jesus fulfilled. 2 Corinthians one twenty says, all of God's promises have been fulfilled in him, talking about Christ. That's why we say amen when we give glory to God through Christ. So when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us uh, this promise, or he said, it is finished. I have fulfilled 
God's promises, and that's a benefit to you and I. Number two, write this down. He satisfied what God's justice required. He satisfied what God's justice required. We serve of God of justice and righteousness. How many can say amen? God is always right. In fact, his justice is good. God is the one that set things in order. There are many laws that are in place that God set up before the beginning of time. In fact, the universe works on these laws. They call them the laws of nature or universal laws. There are laws of physics. There are laws of astronomy. There are laws of chemistry, environment, physical laws, uh, uh, gravity. How many thank God that gravity doesn't work just once in a while? It works all the time, right? And so, could you imagine? Well, it's not working today. We'd be, in, we'd be in trouble right now. So God designed the entire universe so that the rotation works the gravity works, thermodynamic works, and we don't fall off the earth because it's spinning so fast. Bible says, Psalms 8.3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have established. So God's laws are immutable or what we call unchanging. The, again, these are the laws of physics, spiritual laws, moral laws. In fact, when God gave the moral laws to Moses, to the nation of Israel, these moral laws were to be shared with everyone else. We've heard about the law, and many of us are confused about the law, but I want you to know that the moral laws of God are still intact today. Human beings, we have two problems with the laws of God. Number one, we're unable to keep them or to complete them. We're unable to keep all of these laws because we're sinful by nature. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans chapter eight, the law of Moses could not save us because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan. How many thank God for the different plan? To save us. He sent his own son and a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. God destroyed sin's control over us by giving us his son as sacrifice for our sin. That's what happened on the cross. He did that so that the requirement of the law would be fully accomplished. In other words, there'd be nothing, uh, nothing outstanding for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow his spirit. So Jesus is the only human person that has ever existed that kept all of God's law perfectly. But we couldn't do it. The second problem we have with the law is justice. Justice demands that the lawbreaker pays the consequence. Are you with me? So if, you're, if you committed a crime, if you break a crime or you commit a crime, you break the law, guess what? You have to pay the price. There are consequences to that. There are laws of sleep. 
How many know if you decide, well, you know what, for the next five days, Pastor, I'm just not going to sleep. Guess what's going to happen? Uh, the laws of sleep are going to affect your body, right? Uh, if you think you can kind of get it, well, I, I, I'm not going to exercise. You will pay the price. Uh, if you eat, some of you are paying the price. If you eat the wrong food, uh, your body will pay the price, right? If you break a law, you will pay the price, if I, if I decide to go out and get drunk and get loaded, I'm free to do whatever I want to do, but I'm not free from the consequences. You're free to do whatever you want. Go ahead, do whatever you want. But guess what? Consequences are coming to the lawbreaker. Can you say amen? So we're free to do whatever we want, but the laws of God, the consequences are still there. So justice demands that the lawbreaker pay the penalty. God is just, and so the justice requires the law to pay the penalty. That's why Jesus said, I have finished his work. In other words, Jesus paid the price and the penalty for the lawbreaker. How many thank God for that? Look at what it says in Romans 10, 4. It said, Christ ended the law so that everyone who believes in him may be right with God. So did you know that Christ ended the law? There is no more law that applies to you. Now, many of us just say, well, you mean the commandments don't apply? No, the moral law still applies. There are three kinds of laws in the Bible that most of us get confused in. And I want to explain this to you because I think it's something we need to kind of understand. There were three laws given to the Jewish people. There was the legal law for the nation of Israel. There was the ceremonial law for the worship of Israel. And there was the moral law for everyone to follow. The legal law or the national law that was laid down was for those that are Jews. How many know most of us here are not Jewish? And we weren't there during that time, so that law does not apply. Neither does the ceremonial law, which you can find in the book of Leviticus, which is really strange. You have to have uh, certain hygiene, certain health rules, certain clothes you're supposed to wear, you know, and, and uh, you know, women, you know, are, are restricted certain things, a certain way you come into the temple of God, all of these things, you know, uh, uh, there's still, even churches today, they have all these rules for women, women can't wear pants, women can't wear makeup, and ladies, we appreciate you wearing makeup, it's a blessing, we appreciate it, it's men, thank you, and, and so all of these different things, okay, and, and so, uh, you know, anyway, I don't know how I got there, but the moral laws are still in effect, are still in effect. So you still can't murder. Can you say amen? Still can't commit adultery. Still can't lie. These laws are, the moral law never ended. In other words, these affect the conscience and the heart. So this moral law is still in effect. Not the ceremonial law, not the legal laws, but the moral laws. In fact, Romans 5.18 says, it said, just as one person did it wrong, and got us into all this trouble with sin and death. How many know that was Adam? When I meet Adam, no, we're not going to do that. Another person did, did it right and got us out of it. That was Jesus. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. So he fulfilled the promises and satisfied God's justice that was required. Number three, write this down. He paid the debt that I owed to God. He paid the debt that you owed to God. 
Can you imagine, think about this, Jesus, by dying on the cross, paid everything that we owed to God. We owed a debt. In other words, uh, basically, our sin is the debt. You have a debt. Maybe think about this, the debt that you owe other people because you've hurt them, because you've lied to them, because you've offended them, but even a greater debt that you owe to God. And God, by his grace, gives you a gift of forgiveness. Can you say amen? This is why we need to be grateful that God had paid the debt or Jesus paid the debt for you and I. In other words, we owed a debt and he paid it for us. We used to sing a song in our church here years ago called He Paid a Debt. I'll sing it. I'll try to sing it. Let me, let me drink a little tea here, okay? And Dennis, you cheer me on, even if I say it, do it wrong. It's called, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Oh, I'm, I'm kind of cracking there. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. Thank God. Maybe we could sing that song one day. I'm going to challenge the worship leader here. He paid a debt, man. He didn't owe it. He paid it for us. Can you say amen? Amen. Look at Colossians 2.14 says, we owed a debt because we'd broken God's law. The debt listed all the rules we failed to follow, but God forgave our debt. He canceled our debt by nailing it to the cross. How many thank God for canceled debt? Hallelujah. He canceled the debt, the sin that you owed God. Can you imagine waking up one morning and all of a sudden you get a phone call from your Visa card or your Discover card or your MasterCard and they say, hey, hello, how's it going? He goes, you know what? We just decided we're going to cancel your debt. He goes, man, that would be a miracle. It would be. I'm just making it up. It's not really going to happen. I'm waiting for that call tomorrow, Pastor. Amen. But what I'm just telling you today is wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it feel so good? Man, my debt has been canceled. Can I tell you the debt that you owe to God, the sin, everything you did, God has canceled your debt. God has forgiven your debt. Hallelujah. The Bible says, Colossians 1, 4, it says that God's son paid the price to free us, which means that our sins have been forgiven. He paid the debt for you. He canceled the debt. Whatever you owe, he canceled it. I remember going to a restaurant one day with a number of us pastors. There was like five of us. We went to this, uh, what was it? Uh, my goodness, I'm thinking here, a Cuban restaurant. I don't know, I like Cuban. Anyway, I was there, Cuban restaurant. You guys ever had the Cuban sandwiches? All right, anyway, I, don't, I guess not. Anyway, I went, and uh, we, we, we walked in, and when we walked in, there was five of us. There was a young man 
who knew us when he was a kid, and he goes, hey, I know who you guys are, and we, we saw him, we remembered him, and he came and shook our hands. He was just happy uh, to greet us, and we were, you know, good to see him. He, was, he came from the other end of the restaurant. He saw us. He was having lunch with somebody, but he made his way over to just say hi to us uh, and, and, and just tell us, hey, you remember me? We did, we did and I'm, we, we said hi to him. We sat down. We ate, and after that, we were waiting for the bill. We were waiting for the check. We were waiting for the debt. And the, and the waiter said, you know what, uh, it's been paid. And we said, who paid it? He said, see that young man over there, he paid that debt. I said, man, that's my new best friend, right over there. Let me go, let me find, let me find that guy. Let me go over there. No. We went over there to thank him for paying the debt. Because someone paid the debt for us. Can I tell you, Jesus paid the debt for you. You ought to be thankful. That is why. If you're wondering why people are up here worshiping, their debt has been canceled. They have their hands lifted. They're excited. They recognize they owed a debt, and Jesus paid the final debt. Can you say amen? The sacrifice has been paid. To telestai, that word is not only one that cancels the debt, but it's also used in a battle cry. In other words, soldiers, when they would finish a battle or when they would win a battle, they would shout to telestai as a sign of victory. So write this down. Number four, he defeated the fear of death. When Jesus said to Telestai, it is finished, he defeated the fear of death. This is a universal fear. Most people fear death, but Jesus broke the power of the fear of death, that you don't have to be afraid any longer. Can you say amen? Death is not the end. You don't need to fear it. Can you say amen? Romans 5.17 said, The sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2.14 said, Jesus became flesh and blood by being born in a human form, for only as the human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he deliver those who have lived all their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Can I tell you, I'm not afraid of death any longer. I know where I'm going. Hallelujah. The moment I die... When I open my eyes, I'm going to see my Savior. I'm going to be in the presence of God. Now, the only thing is, I don't fear death. I just fear the pain of death. How many know? I don't want to, you know, I, I, my dream is, God, I want to go to sleep one day and just not wake up. Amen. That would, like, be the ultimate perfect death, right? I just went to sleep, and then when I woke up, I'm in eternity. Hallelujah. No pain, no heart, no, 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 no car crash, no nothing. Just, just went to bed and woke up, and I don't know, maybe we'll see what happens. But anyway, the good thing is that I think about death more and more because I think about people that have gone before me, and I'm looking forward to seeing them again. I know that death is something that we're all going to experience. The issue is you've got to know who you're trusting in. Do you trust in God? Because that's, that's the whole thing about baptismal. Baptismal is a sign 
of dying to yourself and being resurrected anew. That, that's why we baptize people here. In fact, we have a baptism over there that uh, we're gonna have a baptism soon, aren't we? We're gonna do, we're gonna schedule one. I think the last one we did, was that in January? Or beginning of February? Who knows? We need to do a baptism, amen. We, 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 we need to get some people under. And some of you need to stay a little longer than most, amen. But, but uh, we'll bring that baptism tank right over here. And we baptize, and what baptism is, is the signification, an outward, uh, sim- it's symbolic of what's in the heart, that the old man is dead and the new man is alive. Amen. Jesus was buried three days and he rose again. Some of you will bury you in the water three days and then we'll, no, no, we're not gonna do that. But so, so that's what baptism is, it's symbolic of Jesus dying and being raised again. So every time the word baptism is used, it's basically you're, you're being buried and you're coming back again. It's almost baptism, it's like a wedding ring. It's the external sign of an internal commitment. See, the wedding ring is external of what's in here. Did you hear me? So if you don't have it here, you don't have it here. That guy had to put a wedding ring in your, on, on you? It's not here. This is a sign of what's in here. Somebody say amen. Let him put a ring on it. He said he loves you, cares about you, committed to you. Put a ring on it, sucker. Put a ring on this thing. Put a ring on this finger. If, if it ain't there, it's all talk. Show me the gold. Show me the ring. Where is it at? I don't care. Come on, ladies, come on. I need to hear you out there. Anyway, baptism is saying, I'm not ashamed. Wedding, marriage is saying, I'm not ashamed that I'm committed. So let's go on. Get out of being a clothed Christian, okay? So number five, let's go on. He destroyed Satan's power to control us. Number five, write that down. He controlled Satan's power to control us. When Jesus said to tell us die, he destroyed the power of Satan to control our lives. See, on the cross, he destroyed Satan's power because today Satan controls the mind and the hearts of people. Satan has complete dominion. So if you don't have Christ in your life, you have no power over the devil. You have nothing. You're powerless. You, you basically got nada. You, you're zilch. Nada. No mas. You can't do it. You can't fight. Amen. Now, the devil's overpowered you already because you have no control. Only those that have Christ in their life then he gives you the power to overcome the control of the enemy. Can you say amen? See, Satan had no idea what was going on at the moment. When he had Jesus on the cross, it looked like Satan was winning. Many times it looked like the devil had the upper hand in the world that we live in today. We think, man, the devil seems to be winning, but he didn't realize that when he killed Jesus or when Jesus died, it was actually Jesus' victory because he was going to rise again from the dead and take the power of death of the enemy and control See, this is exactly what God does, uh, that when Jesus said it is finished, he is now giving you control over all the power of the enemy to control your life. See, the devil can't control you. It's how much control you're willing to give him. He doesn't control control you. You give him control. 
He uses two things. Let me tell you what he uses. He uses temptation and condemnation. This is how he manipulates a lot of believers today and a lot of people. It's temptation and condemnation. Let me tell you what he does with temptation. Is he minimizes temptation. What he says is, go ahead and do it. It's not a big deal. Go ahead, man. It's not going to hurt you. I'll go ahead. It's not everybody's doing it. Go ahead. Just keep doing what you're doing. See, when, when Satan puts an ideal in your mind, it's called temptation. When God gives you an ideal, it's called inspiration. When you get an ideal, it's called damnation. Amen. I made that up. That's not true. But it is temptation and inspiration. What I'm saying to you today, I don't know how I got that, but anyway. So what the enemy does is he minimizes the temptation, right? That's what he does. It's not a big deal. The moment you do it, then he maximizes the temptation. And he says, I can't believe you did that. And you're a Christian, and you go to that church. Oh, don't even go to church. Stop going to church. Just quit already. And condemnation comes. It goes from temptation to condemnation. And he controls and manipulates your life with temptation and condemnation. But when you have Jesus, and when it is finished, the temptation and the condemnation of the enemy, man, you can have victory over it in Jesus' name. I said, you can have victory over it in Jesus' name. Colossians 1.13 says, God has freed us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. Let me tell you, when Jesus died on the cross, it was a fatal blow to the devil. He didn't even realize that he lost the power of death. He lost the power of darkness. Jesus took the keys from him, amen, and said, you no longer have power. I have freed my people. I said, I have freed my people. It is done. It is finished. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration of this because I did it in the first service, and I think you guys deserve also this illustration. It's kind of gory, so put up with me. If you're, if you're an animal lover, I cover your ears. I don't know what to tell you, but this happened when I was a kid, and I'll just tell you, when I was a kid, I, I kind of enjoyed it, so I'm going to just be honest with you. I was a kid. So my, my dad and my uncle, they all grew up in a ranch in Mexico, and my dad was from Jalisco, and they grew up in a ranch, and they grew up around animals and all this stuff. And when we moved to South LA, the ranch didn't come out of them. They were still in the ranch thing, and my dad would grow, you know, stalks of corn in the front yard and everything else. And, and so he, uh, he decided, you know what, we're going to have some chicken. So back then, there was no pollo loco. There was only Kentucky. And so my dad said, they don't know how to make chicken. I'm going to show you how to make chicken. So we would get these live chickens. And there's only two ways you can kill a chicken. I know it's a little gory. You wring his neck or you chop his head off, right? And me and my cousin, we would just love it because they would often do it like, oh, we're going to have chicken. We're going to have live chicken. I know it's a little gory for you guys. Okay, I was just a kid. And so my dad and my uncle, they would chop the chicken's head off and they would hop around everywhere. And we would just be cracking up. It would just be like the funniest thing. We love it. We played with the chicken without a head, you know. We, blood was going everywhere. I'm being honest with you. It was a blast. I wish, I, I, I wish we had Facebook back then, man. We could watch it. But anyway, we, we would, it was just one of the funnest parts of our growing up. And, it was, and this is where you get the expression, running around like a chicken without a head. 
Can I tell you, the Bible says that Jesus stomped the head of the serpent. The devil is running around with a chicken, with, like a chicken without a head. He doesn't even know he's dead. He doesn't even know he's been defeated. And he's still running around like a little chicken because Jesus has defeated him. It is finished. It is finished. So let's pray. Let's pray. Let's Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.